0: What on earth is the name of this place, Marty? <laughs> is, it, is it Teeling? Is it Kilbegan? Is it Brusna? Is it Locks Distillery? My god, where do we start?
1: It's, it's more changes than Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's known as the Locks Distillery, even though the it's went through many hands and now currently is you well, know, it's actually owned by, by the Japanese now. If, if you Look at it, but it's. I've got it's, to say
0: it. Hi, Kari Maska, Obi
1: Konnichiwa. <laughs> uh, arigato. No, uh, that's, that's all the Japanese I know, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my Japanese out of the way now. No, um, it, there is always the people throwing uh, numbers about to try and make themselves seem and appear older than they are. That's. That's always been really a case with Irish whiskey, old uh, distilleries, whiskey in general, because for many people, age lends itself to gravitas, you know. Uh, but the thing about Locke's distillery, when they say they are the oldest distillery, they are quite right. Uh, the distillery buildings, some of them do date back to the original distillery back in 1757 uh, ish ish is probably a good way of putting it um but they have they have a, a massive history huge amount of history
0: and a massive massive following throughout history uh british prime minister sir winston churchill no less and flan o'brien the irish novelist were were uh, great devotees of the the distillery
1: yes um church churchill um absolutely loved it he thought it was uh, fabulous stuff um but then again to be fair, I think Churchill liked most alcoholic beverages. I don't think, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was limited just to lux. But no, he 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 had a penchant for uh, good whiskies, and that was uh, certainly one that that uh, he liked. And he, there is a there's a quote somewhere uh, about him saying that he liked it. Uh, off the top of my head, it's something like uh it's it's as good as nature's breath or something i can't remember the exact quote but uh, we'll get that at another show i I'm mean sure.
0: listen we, we we know i mean winston churchill probably has quotes about the internet and it didn't exist when he was alive <laughs> uh, yeah
1: i mean what a guy what a guy um but i love i love the fact that most people don't know one of his his many many accolades was that he won the nobel prize for literature <laughs> for uh yeah it for one of his books uh he, he I mean, he's didn't just, I know
0: that knew he was into painting but didn't know that at all
1: no he won he won the nobel prize for literature now whenever uh you won a nobel prize and that's that's way down your list of achievements it sort of says says plenty about you you know <laughs>
0: yeah it does yeah so t- take us back to
1: 1757 then well 1757 a man called matthias mcmanus establishes a distillery uh, in kilbegan now it's not i've read a couple of different sources on this that he didn't actually find it on the site that it, the distillery stands on now but you have to remember that at that time <laughs> there was lots of distilleries in ireland in the 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 district where Cobegan is, there was forty-two distilleries there alone. Now, that to us just seems an enormous figure. When I mean, we're talking these days about having less than forty on the whole island of Ireland uh, to have forty-two in a, in a very small region in and around Tullamore and stuff. Uh, but the thing was, these were tiny little operations. I mean, they were producing in the in the low thousands of gallons a year. I mean, these days, all of those forty-two would be, you know, a couple of days' production at somewhere like Middleton. You know, that, so we don't get too hung up on on the size of them, but there was plenty of them. Now he had the the patronage of the local MP. Uh, there's not. I did a little bit of research on them, but there's not a huge amount to, to really tell. But one of the things is that they were involved in the seventeen ninety-eight rebellion, and. Uh, mcmanus had two sons john and james who were were killed in the 1798 rebellion uh the united irishmen now
0: we won't go into who said the wrong because that gets too complicated to work out sometimes
1: <laughs> uh, well they, they, they were against the government forces that's that's probably about as good a way of putting it as any okay. um yeah now they had a brewery um uh, it it was whenever you think about making whiskey you you make whiskey you have to brew a beer essentially you brew your wort so you have to make a strong beer so basically you're just adding value really to a product that you're already making so that that's how it's dead easy to make uh, a brewery elevated shall, you, shall we say into a distillery it takes a bit more investment and stuff but it's more or less the same thing uh, to give you an idea uh, when it was turned over to a distillery, they were making 1,500 gallons a year, which is, I mean, it's tiny. I mean, it's not a, any amount really at all. Now,
0: I mean, that would be the size of one of these uh, sort of boutique uh, distilleries now. It's,
1: uh, I mean, you're talking, even the smallest distillery these days could knock out far more than that in a year. You know, it's, it's really not very much at all. Um, Now, it goes through a few different hands. Um, There was William and John Codd, for example. Now, one of the benefits that it had at the distillery was the opening of the Grand Canal. The Grand Canal connected Dublin uh, up to the River Shannon. Which it says near as Af- runs through Athlone, so it really opened up all of that. Where you, you, because it's close to, to the canal, you can get goods in and out, and it's important to have the in and out, uh, aspects to this. Really, up until the opening of the Grand Canal, one of the things they would have used would have been turf. You know, they they'd have used peat as, for pretty much all their fuel needs.
0: But that would have kept lots of people employed locally, uh, you know, t- yeah. to to fuel it, and also in the, the cutting, rearing, and and drawing of uh, sort of uh, all the ingredients to the distillery.
1: Well, it would have done, but it also adds expense. Now, the thing about peat, peat's wonderful stuff for in many regards, but in some ways, it's not as consistent a fuel as coal either. It doesn't burn just as high. Um, creates a lot of ash in some respects too, so at
0: least there's no green green lobby to worry about.
1: Well, they wouldn't have been burning that much of it for them to uh, to to bring down any any real uh, environmental. Uh, Greater tunberg wouldn't have been really on their case, I don't think. You know, uh, no. So when they opened up the Grand Canal, they can move whiskey down to Dublin, uh, even though it would have been. an an awful lot more uh an awful lot more use to to them to try and grow the business but still most of their whiskey was consumed locally Uh, when they started bringing in the coal that brought the 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 cost of the fuel down So once they bring that down that lowers their costs they're bringing in coal from newcastle uh, (laughs) <laughs> to give you an idea of just how small an operation this was, the the pot stills were actually used as their ferment fermenters as well. They well, would have how did yeah work. Well, what happened was they they would have done their their fermenting in the pot still, taken their wort out of it, and then cleaned the still, then re put it back in again, and then run run it through the still. So it would have been a very a very sort of. Time consuming. Time consuming, very expensive way of doing stuff without having, but you wouldn't have had to put in the initial capital costs. So it's it's it seems very strange to us, but you have to remember that these guys would have been operating on a very small scale. You know, you wouldn't have needed a huge amount of people to work the stills. Uh, and although it's labor intensive, the amount they were making was, was really quite small. Now, There was a change in tax and as always the tax the tax man got all capone so he can can get a distillery as well and what they did was once they changed the tax at the end of the 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 18th century a lot of those stills closed now i said there was 42 stills in that area lots and lots of them closed down and by the 1820s there was only 40 ish running in the whole of ireland but they were much, much bigger, much more of a professional...
0: Because the Industrial Revolution had kicked in. The building of the canals from the 1750s yep. to the 1800s yep. you know, sort of kicked off everything.
1: And one of the things that they, they had in in Kilbegan, and it's still there today, and it's one of the absolutely gorgeous features about the place, is they also had the water wheel. The water wheel was one of the places that they, they were able to then use that to... to to give them power as well so they had they upgraded and lowered their costs and they were making an awful lot more stuff now if you skip along until John Locke buys the place now Locke is who is the most famous of of the people who and he
0: was one of these industrialists that really treated the staff extremely well
1: he did now (laughs) When he when he took over, uh, eighteen
0: forty three, I think, yeah,
1: yeah, eighteen forty three. Now at the time, Ireland was. It's been it's been written that Ireland was sodden with alcohol. Uh, their, their per capita amount of alcohol that they drank was huge. I mean, people drank an awful lot of stuff.
0: And yeah, you're into the years of the Great Hungers.
1: Well, we'll get to that just a little bit in a minute, but we have people were were consuming an awful lot of alcohol and it's only really known what they were consuming legally (laughs) what they were consuming above and beyond that could have been maybe double that again so it's recorded that they were consuming well over uh, a gallon of pure alcohol a year per person now if you consider that um an awful lot of people wouldn't have been drinking the temperance movement had started by that stage so uh, it would have been.
0: I wonder how many gallons we actually drink nowadays. <laughs> it's. Uh,
1: it doesn't bear thinking about. No. 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 But when John Little arrived in the 1840s, uh, he had actually been running a distillery in Tullamore. Now, for anybody who's not sort of au fait with the, the, the geography, uh, Tullamore and Athlone are only about. Tullamore and Kilbegan, sorry, they're only about five or six miles apart, you know, they're really, really close. So he had, he had originally been a tobacconist down at, uh, at Avon, which is another place that has a quite famous distillery at the time. And he was married to a Jane Smithick. No, Smithick. We're, we're quite familiar with Smithick's the beer. Different people. No, same people.
0: Same people. All right. Same people. All right. This this is like six degrees of separation, but in Ireland it's it's only 0. 0.375. <laughs> yes,
1: especially in the whiskey industry because they're it's funny how they all sort of marry. They're like farmers. They all marry in amongst each other. Yes. But, so he he took over. Um, he bought the distillery. Now he had previously taken over one in Tullamore, then bought the which became named after him, the Lux distillery. Now. As you mentioned, he was very much um, a very kind man, very generous. And there's a newspaper report uh, on, it's actually dated 1849, but it talks about the previous Christmas. And it's the Westmeath Independent. And it says, At Christmas, John Locke Esquire, proprietor of the extensive distillery at Kilbegan, With his accustomed benevolence and liberality distributed amongst the poor a large quantity of oatmeal soup and etc together with a quantity of suitable clothing mr locke is greatly esteemed for his many amiable qualities he gives constant and extensive employment to the laboring classes that's all very nice and he's very generous man unfortunately on the 1st of january he died so by the time this report had come out this the Westmeath Independent had reported on how generous he was, he was probably already buried. So he he passed away unfortunately um, and his, his son took over, son Jack Now he was married to a uh, Mary Devereaux who was the daughter of Nicholas who happened to own the Bishop's Gate Distillery. Now you see what they've done there?
0: Oh yes, see
1: what <laughs> yes. they've done See what they've done Now
0: now, whereabouts is it? It's uh, a fair distance away, is it not?
1: It is. It's... it's um, Wexford. Down in Wexford. And it was the largest distillery. It was the largest distillery down at that part of the world. So, the Bishop's Gate Distillery.
0: Had the it's... trains kicked in by then? I think the trains would have kicked in by that point, hadn't
1: they? I think they would have done, yeah. Um, it was, they actually had a, a bit of foresight in that regard too, because a little bit after John Locke died... They actually bought in, they had shares in, the family had bought shares in the railway companies, which gave them sort of um, preferential treatment in that regard no too. No
0: dozers, absolutely no, no dozers. No,
1: absolutely not. Now, John Jr. ran the distillery until 1868, at which point then his wife, Mary Ann, took over.
0: Oh, uh, now,
1: uh,
0: uh, there seems to be a, a theme in this that, the woman in whiskey seemed to step in at some point and managed to keep the whole thing going, which is fairly well, unusual for the time.
1: I mean, we've talked about these these women running distilleries before, um, Elizabeth Cummins over in Cardew, and uh, Betsy Williamson and Lefroy and stuff, and they do seem to jump in, but remember, for a lot of people back in the day, but a lot longer before this, women would have been the people who would have been doing distilling anyway, so... In some regards, uh, making making beer, making whiskey, making bread, making it, any sort not, of food it's stuff...
0: Not a, it's not unusual. It's not a revelation.
1: It, 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 well, it probably wouldn't have been seen as being that strange. Uh, it would have been a lot stranger, say, for, for a woman at the time to, to run an engineering firm. That would have been very weird. But probably running a distillery would have been, well, it would have been a bit more socially acceptable you know these days thankfully all that's an awful lot better but it uh that that would have been at the stage now another thing that came in at that point that was coming in in the sort of latter part of the 19th century was blending blending of whiskey uh didn't put in uh, a coffee still now, if we've talked many times, anybody's listening to this will probably understand this. A coffee still is a continuous distillation process. This one, the big tall, uh, with plates in it, it's a big tall still. It's with more the economical,
0: thing. there's less cleaning, it's Absolutely. more controllable, all this
1: lot. Yep. Absolutely, yep. but the spirit coming out of it is an awful lot lighter. It's got, uh, it doesn't have as much flavour, but it's much cheaper. Now, the blending. You take uh, a, a much heavier uh, flavoursome whiskey like Cobegan and put it into your grain whiskies. And once it gets into your grain whiskies, it you, you you can raise the profile of the of the grain substantially um, by using a, a good heavy flavoured pot style whiskey. And that's how they do it. Now the what the type of whiskey they were making I'll give you an I'll give you an example of what they were purchasing. This is in 1868, so this is when Marianne took over. Their expenses for their greens or for their the cereals that they were using was £4,344 for barley, £2,795 for malt and 1820 pound for oats now oats at the time were half the price of wheat or half the price of barley so that tells me that the mash bill that they were using was probably in and around 30% oats which if you if you talk to any of the the guys who are looking into Uh, heritage mash bills and that kind of thing tell you that oats played a huge part in irish irish mash bills back in the day and that goes to prove it i mean they were spending if you allow for um the fact that oats was half the price of your barley they're spending almost as much on oats as they are in barley um So. so you can't now obviously you have to have your your, your malt in there because that's where you get your enzymes to 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 ferment you need those so you're, you're probably talking there could have been about 30 percent plus oats in the mash bill which would have given a very very creamy very uh very different flavor profile than we would be used to today very different now they went from production went from sixty thousand gallons to in 1886, they were making 157,000 gallons. Now that's some jump, you know, it's well over 10 times what the distillery had originally been making back 100 years previous.
0: And then, of course, Alfred Bernard comes knocking on the door in 1887,
1: oh, doesn't he? He does, and unlike Belfast, he let him in. Now, <laughs> again, you go through Bernard and he talks about it, and he, you know, he talks about Kobegan and stuff, and I'll not labour too much about Bernard because he's it's there to be read. Um, he's, he's fabulous, but Mary began to start taking a, a a back step, back seat once her her two sons really got up in, in the eighteen eighty seven. Um, so they were running, and they were wanting to expand as well. Um, they, they, they built new warehouses because obviously they need somebody to store that. Now, one thing that they did do, and this this again it shows you the sort of modern thinking that these days this seems unusual but back in the day it wasn't that it it wasn't unusual the project that waterford are undergoing at the minute they they have a girl called grace o'reilly who gets involved with the the, the, you know the seeds and giving advice to farmers and all this well the the Locke brothers were involved with the seed barley association and they were distributors of seed to the farmers. So they give the seed that they needed for their whiskey to the farmers and then give advice on how to grow it. So we is think-
0: It sounds like there's a lot of terroir going on there to me.
1: Well, I don't know necessarily they would have seen it in that regard, but it, it goes to show you that what we think as being, oh, this is all new and uh, totally something alien to the industry at the minute, it's really not that alien at all. Uh, these guys understood that this was something of importance. So, you know, you have to you have to think that that's uh very forward thinking on their part. They were obviously clever, clever guys. Now, nineteen oh seven James Locke was writing by this stage they'd sort of become involved in politics, which is hardly unusual. Uh, James was writing about fixing roads and he said that in the north of Ireland where I have most of my business, lots of what they were making in bagan was being shipped up to Belfast
0: okay to sp- was there, was there a reason for that
1: yes because they were supplying the likes of Dunvilles and Kirker and Greer right Belfast there's this history that says that Belfast or Ireland sorry didn't adopt the the coffee stills that the industry field because they didn't adopt the con- continuous still they stuck with the patent stills and all this kind of stuff it's not actually true 70 percent 75 percent of the whiskey being made in 1907 in ireland was green whiskey right the problem was that lots of the distilleries didn't adopt them lots of the smaller distilleries didn't adopt the pot still or didn't adopt the grain still they stuck with the pot still now it only by by the end of world war one uh irish whiskey was about 80 percent grain whiskey so it goes to show you just how much they were actually making I mean, lots of that was actually being the green whiskey was being exported to scotland because they couldn't keep up because they were selling so much by that stage now Because Locks had been producing huge amounts of the whiskey, they were supplying it for blends. Now whenever they were supplying it for the blends, a little goes a long way and they overproduced. They produced too much. So by 1924, um by this stage the creation of the Irish Free State, uh De valera and stuff had basically went in a trade war with the UK cut off the supply to one of their major markets, also you've lost the empire seals.
0: It's the old agri- agri- agrarian economy, it never works, does it?
1: it not really, no. <laughs> so they lost, the, they lost the British market, the prohibition in the States played a part, but Lux didn't, didn't supply huge amounts to America. Um, so it basically sat idle, they had enough stock, they didn't need it to still, they were able to sell off the stock in pieces. But by nineteen thirty-one, things had started to pick up again, and the distillery started. Now, at this point, <laughs> there was none of the family really running the the distillery at this point. None none of the shareholders were really in charge. They had all all the family had sort of. It, it was of the granddaughters
0: of Locke, Mary Evelyn and Florence Emily, by that stage.
1: Well, it was, but they weren't really really looking after the distillery and they left it in the hands of of the management who got themselves involved in a little bit of sly trade what they were doing was they were running a night shift and this was a little bit later in the sort of in in the 1940s they were running a night shift with the help of a, a corrupt excise man and never yes imagine so basically what they were doing was they were making new make spirit, cutting it with more mature uh, mature stock, and passing it off as locks and selling it without paying any revenue on it. So lots of these guys were making making seriously good money.
0: Right, I would imagine so. Yeah.
1: Now. And nobody's
0: ever going to check their tax returns because they're in, in cahoots with the tax men.
1: Well, the tax men can very easily... When there's not massive oversight, you can certainly doctor certain pieces of <laughs> bits and bobs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's what was happening. Now, I'm going to touch on another story after the second world war, uh, the, the luck scandal, it which basically, which, which pales in comparison to this one. Well, yeah, the, it, the, the, luck scandal right brought to down, the highest level. This one, it brought down, brought down the government. Um, 1947, the business was put up for sale. Um, and eventually a syndicate came in and they put in a bid of £305,000 obviously a huge amount of money at the time so the sale was agreed there was um, as a sweetener they were given some more uh, export licences so that looked as if they were going to be able to export more to the UK or more to Britain and so on and so forth but it turned out to be a fraud and um, some of the Fianna foil TDs were, were implicated and involved. There was accusations that De era had been given a gold watch, um,
0: Swiss Swiss watch, no no less.
1: A, a gold Swiss watch, yeah. Oh
0: yeah, if if you wanted to commit anything, I would take one of those new Rado ones and ceramic. They're just three thousand and thirty six pound.
1: I, I I'd even settle for a decent Rolex. If, you know, if somebody wants to bribe me, I'm I'm i saying that I wouldn't say it was cheap, but I'm easily accessible. <laughs> no, but. So uh, at some other time we'll do a, a discussion about that because this is more about the distillery. But it, it brought down Devil Era's government and and it was a huge scandal at this time.
0: I don't want you being suicided, you know, Marty. <laughs> what what, what, what do you mean you're, you're, you're digging up the whole dirt on Locke's distillery scandal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is in the re- realm, Justin. Right, this, is, this, right. is, this is common knowledge. <laughs> right. Now, you imagine after... The, the the illicit stuff been going on, the 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 look scandal, the distillery scandal, the distilleries had no investment, the, the you know, the the place was in a, a bit of a disaster. So no real prospects. And what happened was then a guy called J.J. Hogan, who had worked up at the w- would become the, the Cooley Distillery, or was the Cooley Distillery but it was making industrial alcohol. He came down and when he came down he noticed that the Equipment was totally out of date, it was uh, utterly dilapidated. That th- both the wort wor- and the wash was being pumped around in open troughs, so it was just just exposed to, to, to everything. So he spent 55000 renovating it uh, to modernize the whole place. Uh, and they started distilling again, they were running the stills, and they started turning up a, a small profit. They were, you know, they were on their up. Now, the 55 grand was funded by an overdraft, but then along comes the tax man good old customs and re- revenue. Oh, yeah, they increased the in 1952 they increased the duty on on whiskey by about a quarter. Yep.
0: Yeah. 28% hike in excise duties yeah. and spirits, drastic yes. decline in domestic whiskey sales.
1: Exactly, now it went from bad to worse, and in 1953 it closed down. So, the year after that, it closed down. Now, they still had huge stocks. I mean, they had all of these distilleries, when they closed, they have hundreds of thousands of gallons of stuff. So, 1963, a man called Karl Heinz Miller bought all the remaining stock for £10,000. Now, he sold most of it in Germany, where he was from, under the the brand Old Galleon. And he made a fortune. He made an absolute fortune out of it. Now, I'd imagine those would be nice ones to pick up at an auction because Mm -hmm. the, the old luck proper look uh, matured stock you know Uh, now in the 1970s they they hadn't been distilling obviously the four old pot stills the copper worms the copper cooling systems were all scrapped and sold to a scrap dealer for 15,000 pound now the week after the scrap dealer bought it the market fell out of the the copper industry copper scrap and he basically lost money on it That was one week. If it had happened, if the market had dropped out of the copper scrap industry a week earlier, chances are we could probably have had those stills yet. You know, all that stuff could still have been there. Mm -hmm. Now, during the 1960s, some of the buildings were used for pig styes, uh, and by 1982, the whole place was basically in ruin. Now, the Kilbegan Preservation and Development Association was formed, and they really come to the rescue of the whole place. And they in 1983, they restored the old water wheel. They restored some of the buildings using donated timber and whatnot. But they still kept the license. All the owners of the buildings kept paying a five pound fee, which meant they could keep the distiller's license. Now, Dr. John Teeling bought over Cooley. i am not going into that just at the minute, but he, he, in 1987, he needed warehousing, um, to, to store his whiskies, so they bought over the Kilbegan distillery. Now that gave them access to the warehouse, but it also gave them access to the name and all of that sort of stuff. So that's why they were bringing out uh, Kilbegan and Lox whisky and uh, Maid and Cooley. Now in 2007, now, Cooley had been sold to Beam Suntory. Then in 2007, 250th anniversary, they started distilling again. And there was
0: McManus's, there was Cods, there was Locks there. All the witnesses, the firing of the pot stills.
1: Yes, the descendants of the families of uh, people who had owned it. Now, they were making a tiny little bit, let's be honest. Um, But one of the stills that they have... And I still have, came from Tullamore and is actually 180 years old. Now it was sent to Scotland, it was sent to Glasgow to be refurbed and refitted, it, and it was brought back, and now it's 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 working away. Now it's ironic that some of the brands that have Kilbegan distilling company on them aren't actually made there. You know, Terconel, uh, Connemara, even the Kilbegan single grain and the the blend aren't made there but they have brought out their own brands now that is actually made there they have a Kilbegan small batch rye and they have a single pot still now the single pot still says that it's made to a uh, look family recipe Uh, because of the technical file uh, you're allowed five percent other uh, cereals, other than uh, malt uh, and, un-malted and un-malted barley, you can have 5% other cereal. Um, in this they have 2.5% oats, I'm going to say it's nice that it's there, but if you're going to be historic and do it to, really to the letter, you would need to put about 10 times more oats in it, I think. Um, but these are two new products made at the distillery, it's the most beautiful building they've done a fantastic job preserving it the tour about it's fabulous you get to see the old still they look totally different than the stills that most people would be used to the water wheel still works, they still use it for stuff
0: Is that the Japanese coming out in them? The Japanese like to preserve things?
1: I think it's more to do with the good people of Kilbegan. I think it's to do with the fact that they put the work in back in the 80s they realized that they were proud of the place they really wanted it back up and running and just through a sequence of events they have it and if you ever find yourself down in that part of the world even if you're not a fan of whiskey if you're just a fan of things that are beautiful go and have a look at the distillery and spend a day going around it. The staff in it I was lucky to be down last year before lockdown and I spent about three quarters of an hour talking to the lady in the gift shop and she was very well informed lived in the place all her life and we chatted away as if we were old friends and i came away with two bottles that i thoroughly enjoy and have a nice memory of the day
0: thank you very much if you like this you'll like us even more in vision saturday night 10 p.m youtube facebook maybe linkedin and maybe on instagram as well catch us then